everyone. Thanks for joining. This is Seeking Sustainability Live. I'm JJ Walsh in Hiroshima, and today I'm talking with Andrew Russell. And Andrew, you are also working in Hiroshima. Are you in Hiroshima at the moment? Uh, yes, I am. I'm uh, quite far from Hiroshima City, unfortunately, but uh, yeah, I'm in a little town called uh, Akitsu, which is uh, on the, the Seto Inland Sea. Um, about roughly halfway between Mihara and uh, Tokyo, uh, Hiroshima City. Yeah, um, and I'm so excited to have you on. Uh, I saw that you had done an interview with Imada Miho, who is the Toji at Fukucho, where you are, uh, what is it, Kurabito? And uh, so I was Kurabito, so excited. Yeah. And I was thinking, what? He's in Hiroshima. I'm in Hiroshima. I want to talk to him, you know? So it's so great to have you on the show. Even though we are still communicating via computer, it's wonderful to have you here. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, th th thanks for having me. It's great, it's great to be here. But of course, yeah, I'd love to uh, actually, you know, be able to enjoy Hiroshima eventually. I've been here two years and I think I've been... Uh, you know, out in the city twice, maybe. So, um, yeah, def definitely looking forward to the first proper drink um, uh, after the after the pandemic is is over. So that'll be really exciting, won't it? When the bars kind of open back up and we can get back after vaccination, kind of get back to that that bar atmosphere again without worrying too much. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit, Andrew, about how you got interested in sake. I think that's a really interesting story. Until 2011, you were working in the car industry. Is that right? Yeah, it's a com completely different job. Obviously, it's um, yeah. From, from I, I left school quite quite a young age. Um, I was actually 16 when I when I left school. Um, and you know, at that time, I didn't know if I was going to go to university or not. Um, but I was offered a job working for um, a BMW franchise uh, in uh, in Edinburgh, my my hometown. Uh, and it was just too good a job opportunity to pass up. So um, I, I I joined them, and 12 years later, um, you know, you start, you know, you, you've committed so much of your life to to this, you know, all-consuming job. Um, that I just wanted to, to do something different and uh, you know that was the first time I came to Japan and it, it wasn't supposed to be anything more than just a year like like a gap year that I couldn't could never have done um, because I, I missed out on that part of my life so um, but, but yeah from, from there it just kind of um, you know spiraled into this um, you know this kind of fascination with Japan and um, yeah, then the next thing I knew, I was studying there, and then, you know, the next stage after that, I'm, you know, here I am working in a traditional sake brewery. So um, it's it's all very kind of difficult to get your head around when you think back to that, you know, my my previous job and you know the journey that it's it's taken to end up where I am. But um, but you know, delighted that 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 I did it. It was a very good decision. So. Yeah, what was it about Japan or what was it about sake that you were initially so interested in that you wanted to study it for one? You have a master's in Japanese history from Edinburgh University and you came back to do your research and write your dissertation 
back in Japan. So what what was it initially that made you so interested in sake? Uh, well, the, the, the real thing, sake kind of really pushed me into it in a, in a roundabout way. And um, the, the, the funny story was I never actually got into it on purpose. Um, the, 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 at the very beginning, um, when I was in my first year at Edinburgh University, I was a mature student. Um, so most of the people around me, in fact, nearly everyone was, was a lot younger. Um, and vast majority were into things like anime and manga and things like that. I had no interest in that side of things at all. I liked watching like, you know, samurai films and reading books about history and things. Um, but, but at Edinburgh, every year they have this, um, this week where they suspend classes um, and it, it's called Innovative Learning Week. Um, but the students have quite, quite wisely renamed it Innovative Drinking Week. Um, because it, it just turned into this excuse to, um, you know, to, to, to take a week off classes. But the, 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 the original purpose was that for that week, you were supposed to do cultural activities that were relevant to your department. And all it was was, let's have a manga event or let's sit in a room and read anime or something. And I said, you know, let, let's do something a bit more in tune with Innovative Drinking Week. So um, I said, I'll hold a sake tasting. Um, and I knew absolutely nothing about sake whatsoever. Um, but to my surprise, the teacher said, yeah, great idea. There's some money, go, go and buy some sake. Um, but after we did the first one, and the next day, I wasn't really sure if it had been well received or, or anything. But the, the, the teacher said, look, Andy, that was brilliant. We absolutely have to do that again next year. Um, so it kind of upped the stakes. And I, I, I realized I had to to study about for the next thing. Um, and, and during that process of, of learning about sake, I obviously became very interested in it, but um, I, I sort of thought, well, for my dissertation, you know, that's, you know, that's two birds killed with one stone. So that's where it started to get kind of, um, you know, my, my study of it leveled up a wee bit. Um, and of course, during my year abroad is when you're supposed to be, um, you know, doing the bulk of your research. And so it was great. I thought I'll go around bars and, you know, and drink lots of sake and, you know, that'll be it. But I was lucky that I found someone in Okayama who is actually an exporter. Um, and uh, he, he was he was absolutely fantastic. We're still good friends to this day. Um, but he took me around all these fantastic um, sakagura um, breweries in Okayama. Uh, and one of them um, was my future employer I, I didn't know at the time but um, but that that was kind of you know me laying the foundations I suppose my, my connections for for one day stepping into into the brewery oh, that's great um so you are full-time employed with Fukucho sake so Imada Shuzo can you tell us a bit about the brewery you're working at now Uh, yeah, it's. Um, it, it, I suppose it's relatively young. Um, it was uh, founded in the first year of the the Meiji period. Um, so, it, it, in general terms, it is for sake brewery terms. It's actually um, quite a young brewery. Um, the the town, uh, being honest, Akitsu, um, there's not much left nowadays. It's, it's a very depopulated town. But in the past, it was extremely important um, for. Hiroshima Sake, the history of Hiroshima Sake. If I could give you one 
sort of takeaway from it. Um, here, uh, Fukucho is famous for uh, soft water brewing and soft water brewing and ginjo production um, tend to go hand in hand. It's a low, they say low and slow style of fermentation, which produces a, a very distinct um, style of sake. And uh, yeah, I guess it was a very typical brewery up until about 20, 30 years ago, um, making mostly futsushu. Um, but a, a lot has sort of changed in the industry and there was a lot that needed to modernise. And one of them was obviously the, the system of master brewers um, was kind of starting to, um, to, to, to fade where you had seasonal teams um, that would come in uh, working under a, a, a to what they call a toji. And they would do that for the winter and then they would go home in the summer and tend to rice fields. But that system's kind of all but gone now. And the, uh, the, the breweries, um, the, the president's daughter um, was working in Tokyo at the time during the, the bubble economy. And when the bubble popped, um, she, she decided to come back to, to Hiroshima uh, and try and turn the brewery around. Um, so it's, it, it, that was the point about 30 years ago where the brewery um, really started to focus uh, on what the region was famous for, which is uh, soft water uh, brewing ginjo style sake. Um, we, we actually make um, quite a wide range of styles now, but um, the, the, the core of Fukucho is, um, is, is ginjo brewing. Yeah, I've, I've of course had Fukucho sake many times and I love it. It's delicious. Um, I also did a sake seminar with Miho-san, who's the third and yeah. uh, she introduced me to sparkling sake and a real variety of flavors of the sake, which I had never experienced before. Um, she's very knowledgeable. You guys were in Sake Mistresses, Simone Maynard series. You were the very first. We were. We were, the, we were the guinea pigs. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. Taste with the Toji series. And she's gone on to do many interviews like this uh, with Toji brewers around Japan, right? It's a fantastic series. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic series. I mean, to be honest, um, when when we first got approached by uh, by Simone um, to do it, um, I I didn't really know Simone that well, to be honest. I mean, we you know to the, to the level of exchanging a few messages on Facebook and what have you. Um, but she, she asked us to do um, this, this show just as um, the, you know, the, the, the screws were starting to turn on, uh, on COVID-19. And it, we, maybe that was me. That I, I had in my head that it was just kind of, you know, the two of us kind of sit in a room, drink sake and you know, talk to an, an online audience. And, and that is how it turned out. Um, but of course, Taste with the Toji has, uh, has just gone on to... To, to much greater heights than that first um, very casual episode. Um, you know, I, I think it, it lasted about four and a half hours or something. Um, and it pretty much was just a conversation with, with us and this live audience. Um, so it's, it's fantastic um, to, to being the first people. Um, but it's, it's good to see that um, the, the quality has gone up since that first day. Uh, that first episode, but Simone's done a fantastic job, uh, and it's just been the perfect 
thing to, to have happened um, to, to keep everyone um, connected uh, during uh, during the pandemic. But it's, it's also opened up new boundaries as well. I, I don't think there's ever been a time, in fact, I'm sure there's never been a time where um, breweries have had such a good relationship with their um, with their customers. Um, you know, they, the fact that they can now speak to them directly, um, you know, those there's no barrier, uh, language barrier anymore. Every time there's just a Japanese speaker, then um, Simone puts on one of the, what, the fantastic interpreters. Um, so it, it's, it's really kind of changed the game, I think. It's, it's fantastic to also just promote the sake industry more. Um, I was talking to Stephen Lyman. Uh, he's a shochu expert in Japan. And he often talks about sake is actually more well-known abroad and much safer in terms of uh, that recognizability and people at least knowing what it is, shochu is sold mostly in Japan, but you have kind of an opposite problem with sake. In Japan, sales seem to be going down, even though there might be international recognition. Is that right? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 a bit of an old conversation now because it's it's been going on for so long, but um, there, there's, there's not just one reason why it's happened, but for sure the, the, the image of sake took, um, several um, dents, um, you know, back uh, 30, 40 years ago. Um, and, it, and it's, the, the sales have been in a, a, a sort of steady decline ever since. Some of that is just down to the fact that younger people drink less uh, and, and drinking habits have changed. But other things of, you know, popularity of, um, you know, other drinks from overseas, particularly wine, of course, and um, beer has definitely replaced sake a long time ago as the, um, you know, the kind of drink, drink of choice for, um, you know, izakayas and, you know, that type of thing. And so there's not one reason, but in general, they've all kind of accumulated and uh, it's it, it has hurt the industry. But at the same time, um, sake's popularity has been uh, has been on the rise overseas. Um, and there was a very famous, uh, it's, it's now famous within brewing circles anyway, um, the, the only uh, non-Japanese master brewer said decades ago um, that, that, that what he hoped for was, was a boomerang effect, um, that if, if sake can go overseas and become popular um, and Japanese people can then see that, um, that they, they, they will then sit up and take notice and say, wow, this is this is our, you know, national drink. You know, we should be more proud of this and, you know, pay more attention to it. Um, but I think that has already happened. I, I, I do now believe that there's more and more young people, maybe I'm just being optimistic, but it feels like there's more younger people taking an interest in Nihonshu. Um, there seems to be, you know, no shortage of, um, you know, specialist bars that you can go to and just try hundreds of different varieties at the same time. And so, so yeah, I, I always try and stay optimistic um, that that actually, even domestically, think although the the, the, the volume is going down, and um, the, the quality and the, the variety is is definitely improving. Yeah. 
Wonderful. Uh, Rob Dyer has joined us. Say, maybe sake will see a revival the same way gin has in the UK. What do you think? Uh, yeah, may maybe. I mean, gin is starting to become popular here, so that that's not going to do Nihonshu sales any good. Um, yeah, I again, I, I liked, maybe I'm sort of in my own, you know, echo chamber uh, a bit too much, but um, I, I'm always positive about uh, Nihonshu in Japan with, with Japanese people. Um, you know, I know a lot of people that, um, that, that if they're into sake, they're, they're into it in a very, very big way. Um, and sake is getting so much attention overseas now. You know, there's there's tasting competitions like Kura Master and, um, you know, one thing that's that's constantly popular and, and gets Japanese people's attention is anything to do with France. Um, I, I don't quite know the history behind that, but, um, you know, France is, is one country in particular that's taken a real interest in sake. Um, and, you know, that, that boomerang effect, um, I, I think that's, that's already happened. So you see much, much more variety um, in, you know, on, on the shelves in, in sake stores. And so, so yeah, I, I'm positive about the, the future. I, I think the, the, the key thing being the variety and um, as the variety improves, then I think you'll see more people and um, start to pay more attention to it. Yeah, wonderful. Um, I mentioned before we started that I had Hannah Krishner on the talk show series and she talked about her book and I'm rereading it now and in the sake section where she's learning how to brew sake. And I had no idea how intensive it is. Now, I also read your blog and you're talking about your first time and even just the first day is just incredible amount it's really long days quite intense can you take us back to your first day making sake uh, yeah i mean I, the, first and foremost i, I kind of got a real uh, scare when when i walked into the brewery I, I didn't know what to expect um you know at all really going into it. Uh, everyone had said oh it's gonna be really hard but i never actually spoke to anyone that had actually experienced doing it so um so i, I you know I, I didn't know whether that was actually going to be the case but i, I really thought it was going to be a lot um, more gradual that they would they would kind of break me in gently um but like the, the moment i turned up at work it was a uh, chore or the the kind of uh, i guess you'd call it like an assembly or something where it was freezing cold um, and, and everyone just got together outside. We all stood outside and there was just this like rapid fire meeting between the, the toji and uh, what they call the kashira, who is, who's really the head of the brewery. The toji is the overall head of production, but the kashira kind of runs the show behind the scenes. Um, and the, the next thing I knew, we were all sort of, I'm just sort of following in behind these people and, the minute we entered the brewery, they all just kind of scattered off and they knew exactly what they were doing. Um, and the next thing I had this big, heavy um, container of freshly steamed rice in my hand and I was getting shouted at to go up the stairs. And, um, you know, they were, they were using it to make uh, koji. 
Um, so, so yeah, it was it was very very uh, intense. Um, but there's there's a lot of things that I wish I'd known, um, you know, to, to prepare better. One of them being the cold. Um, it is outrageously cold in in a sake brewery, and um, by by design. I mean there there's holes in the walls everywhere. It's it's basically like being outside, but you're in the middle of winter. And so that first season, I was not prepared for um, a the physicality of it, and um, but, but b just how um, you know how uncomfortable an environment uh, it, it it can be. And um, but of course you, you get used to it and you start to you know learn how to deal with it better, uh, and it becomes well most of the time good fun. Yeah. Amazing. Um, and before we started, you talked about uh, it's basically six months of intensive uh, brewing. And uh, you gave an example of a documentary, The Birth of Sake, and it's a, run by a very traditional uh, group that actually they live together, eat together, sleep together for the full six months. But that hasn't been your experience, right? I only did that for one year, um, and, I, and I did that in my first brewery. Um, and the reason it was only for one year is both of the breweries I work for, as I say, that that system that uh, that that's, uh, that you can see in that film, it's a, it's a brilliant film, by the way. I recommend anyone to watch it if they're interested in sake brewing. Um, but they, they operate on an old toji system um, where, where the toji has effectively been hired from outside, um, and he gathers a team, and then for six months they all come in, they all... As, as you just said, they all live together, three meals a day together, um, that you know they're sharing the same bathing facilities. It's very, very full on. And um, my first kura and this kura as well, and um, they gave up that system uh, decades ago. And um, but for the way it worked out when I was living in Okayama, I kind of wanted to do it. That I, I wanted to experience it, and I, I kind of had fears that I was never going to get to experience it at my last place. But as it worked out, a, a contract expired in my apartment and, and I was I was in the transition of moving out of that town anyway. Um, and it was going to be very expensive to get a short-term rental. So the, the Toji uh, at the time was very kind and he said, why don't you, um, we'll, do, we'll do minimum renovations because we can't just renovate the place to, to make it fit for living again um, he said but why don't you you do a season in the brewery and um, he does that anyway he he stays there but that's his his mother's house is like joined on to the brewery so he's got a bit better facilities than i had um, but I, I jumped to the chance so i got the previous toji's room um, and a very very dingy bathroom um, but but yeah, I spent one very very cold, miserable uh, season uh, living in this um, brewery in, in Okayama Prefecture. Um, but it was a fantastic experience because it was it was up um, you know crack of dawn, um, up at up at like half five to start work at half five, and um, to do the first work of the day with the toji. Um, and the the normal uh, the the other staff wouldn't start work until eight o'clock. And so I really got to see, you know, the, the hardships that a toji goes through, particularly the toji, because they, they really never have any real peace and quiet during that six months. 
And then the, the last work of the, the day was normally about nine, half past nine, um, where we'd just do a, a quick bit of work in the, uh, what they call the koji muro, which is where they, they cultivate um, the all important koji. And um, so it was, it was you, you have breaks in between, but it's all the way through the day. So it consumes your entire, uh, your entire existence. Um, basically, well, uh, well, the season's going on. But as I said, it was a fantastic experience to to see the the, the real challenge that a, a master brewer um, has to go through to to put sake um, on on someone's table. Yeah, I had until I read your blog, until I I read uh, Hannah Kirshner's book, I didn't realize how completely intense it was. And uh, it's really a full-time job for six months for a group of people. And this is what we were talking about before we started. You were saying this is one of the reasons it's so difficult during coronavirus, as well as going to become more difficult during climate change and as, as the heat picks up and it gets hotter and hotter. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, bear in mind, I've, I've not been brewing relatively long. I mean, I, I finished my fifth season uh, this summer. Um, but even in just that short time, uh, you, you can hear conversations, you can notice things yourself. And, um, you know, my, my first season, I remember being so cold. I mean, just unbelievably cold, like shivering uh, all, all the way until I got, you know, got in the front door. Um, and then the last couple of years, I mean, it was only the, pre the, the, the neighboring prefectures. It's not like it's a different part of Japan. Um, it's, it's just been getting warmer and warmer. Um, you know, it, it felt like, you know, that, that real cold snap that happens was just getting later and later and later. Uh, and, and none of that's good for sake brewing. It, it really isn't. It, um, the, the, the master brewer in particular has to completely rethink strategy um, because sake brewing is, is really, you know, temp we, we work to a temperature uh, and the slightest change in temperature from what we're aiming for can send that batch of sake off in a completely different direction. Um, so it, it, it really is a concern. And I think, um, you know, sustainability and things is, is very much, uh, you know, these kind of conversations are, are um, are just beginning in the sake industry, and um, but there are a few, um, you know, big names, including the one in that film that I just mentioned, and um, that are starting to say that we need to kind of really take notice of this because um, rice cultivation is is extremely important for sake brewing, and um, as is the temperature and the environment when we're actually making it, and um, so it, it, it has a lot to has a lot at stake um, if. The temperature keeps rising, um, and it's interesting because just this week there was a NHK uh, feature on a brewery from, I think, Okayama that moved to Hokkaido, um, because the the temperature, uh, what they remember, is completely different now than what it was when they started brewing, and they think that they have to go to Hokkaido, um, to to ensure that they can make that kind of sake in the future. So. Yeah, it's uh, def definitely um, a, a big concern for the for the whole industry. Yeah, and one of one of the things that when I first came to Japan, I didn't realize how important sake is for our landscape. 
when you drive around Japan and you see all the rice fields cut into the mountains or in summer now, all the rice fields filled with water and all the greenery everywhere breaking up the concrete, even in the cities, Rice is so important visually and culturally. We have festivals connected to rice, you know, that it's it's so connected to the fabric of Japanese society and community. But it's also very connected to the environment because the basic ingredients, rice, water, koji, yeast that you lay out so beautifully in your, your website, it has to be pure. It has to be the best. So I think in terms of sustainability, it's so important to talk about sake. It's such an important product. Yeah, absolutely. And and the, the, the discussion on sustainability in sake is obviously, you know, multifaceted. There's, there's so many different angles that you can look at it. And, um, you know, you can look at the obvious ones like packaging or something you know be, be more sustainable in your in your packaging um but there's there's also um you know the, the raw ingredients as, as you say you know rice cultivation is uh, some people say that that's the first stage in sake brew um you know before you've even you know before the brewers have even turned up it's going on over the summer and um, you, you know outside of that you have how how the the, the sake is handled is, is, a, is a big uh, topic of uh, conversation for um, you know how you keep sake cooled and things like that. There, there's a lot sort of going on with that conversation as well. That um, you know maybe going going forward we need to um, to rethink how we promote sake um, in in that sense as well. Maybe it's not necessarily to have um, so much refrigeration uh, in breweries. Um, but yeah, I, you know the, the one, the one very very big um, obvious one, if, of course, is, is rice cultivation. And as you say, it's so it's the core of um, J Japan. It's that that kind of rice cultivation. You know, when people come to Japan, they, you know, I, I know lots of people that say, you know, isn't it great when you see all the rice paddies and they're, you know, they're 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 flooded like that, or isn't it great when you see them just before harvest and, um, you know, it 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 really um, builds a picture of Japan when you when you think of the different seasons. You, you kind of tend to, to gravitate towards what stage the rice fields are at. So. Yeah. I can't imagine Japan without the rice paddies. And I'm so grateful in summer for a rice paddy in my neighborhood, which is between the buildings and mansions, and it keeps us cooler, even though we're in the city center. Uh, there's so many wonderful connections to other businesses, not just sake businesses, not just agriculture rice growers. There's people who do the labels and bottling, and there's a lot of support businesses around sake breweries, right? Oh, hugely. I mean, you know, having a brewery in, uh, you know, in a small town that, you know, admittedly Japan has a has a huge po uh, problem with depopulization and uh, you know we've all been to you know towns and you know if you go to you know kochi and uh, or tokushima for example uh, and you see these towns that just that just died you know long long ago and um, you know if if you if you have a sake brewery um, in one of these towns it completely revitalizes um you know everything around it and um, not just by, by providing employment, 
uh, for the for the brewers in uh, you know that the work there, or, or, you know all the other staff as well, which are obviously very very vital as well. As you see, people that are doing you know labels and bottling and organising the office and things. And um, but you know obviously that that around gives farmers um, you know uh, you know reason to to cultivate particularly um, expensive sake rice. Um, and then there's dealing with, um, you know, the the offshot of, you know, the, uh, you know, things like the when you're polishing rice, you're you're, you're given the what what's left is things like nuka, um, you know, the, the the powder of it, and um, sake kasu, you know, there's there's a lot that gets um, recycled uh, from the brewing process, and then obviously retailers as well, uh, and restaurants and bars and you know. It, it, Everything really is is so um, closely interconnected within the sake industry, and um, that you know having a healthy brewery has a knock on effect for uh, for a lot of other um, industries as well. Um, when sorry, I just had a phone call disturbing me, but I've closed it, so it's fine. That's um, all right. <laughs> It's live streaming. It's always difficult. Um, talking about the process, you lay this out so beautifully on your website, from rice polishing to steaming rice to making the mash to washing and soaking rice. Um, there's so many different parts of the process. I hadn't realized it's so complicated. Um, when you, you said you've been doing it for five seasons now, so you've you've learned a lot. Do you have a favorite part of the process or a part that you find most challenging? Um, it, it tends to vary. Um, so when, when I first start, started brewing, uh, I was, in fact, there's a picture up on the screen in the, in the center there, washing and soaking. Um, my, my first toji, um, it's quite unusual for for someone to to have this opinion, but he he placed washing and soaking um, as the most important part in the process. Um, most people say um, koji production, uh, and I've never met a toji that doesn't put huge emphasis on it. But because of my previous toji, he was he was really um, he had a brilliant system of doing washing and soaking. I really got interested in that, and and actually, it's one of the, I still think it's one of the most fascinating um, aspects of sake brewing. It, it's it's such a fine balancing act of, of um, how you handle the ingredients, and you can really affect how how so many other um, processes later down the line, um, whether they go smoothly or whether um, you're going to have a lot more work on your hands just by that that one stage. Um, but but recently. Um, I, I was I was very lucky actually that this season I was uh, made the motoya, um, which is the um, the yeast or put put in charge of making the yeast starter, uh, and that's that was quite nerve wracking, um, because if you make a mistake on that, it's it's very very serious. So um, I, I, it would be a very long conversation to go into it, but um, it's a very very crucial part of the, the process, and I hadn't had any experience doing it before. Um, but luckily, my uh, my senpai and uh, Imada-san were, um, were were watching me the you know nearly the whole time to make sure I didn't do anything terrible. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I did about 
10 or 12 tanks uh, out of the out of the 40 that we made um, so um, so yeah but that, that that really kind of caught my attention for um, uh, for, for the basically the entire season I was just studying you know how to make moto uh, and uh, and more traditional methods as well which we actually did for the first time at uh, Fukuchou this season as well yeah it's so so many different parts of the process um the making the main mash together of course during coronavirus like you said it'd be great if everybody got a vaccine as soon as possible because you're working in very close-knit environment is that right uh, yeah i i mean i've said to so many people that there's, there, i'm sure there's other really bad work environments but um, it, it really couldn't be much worse for something like that in working in a sake brewery. Um, as I said, taking time off um, short of the most severe circumstances is not an option. Um, we have enough staff just to get the job done. Um, I've never seen one of my toji um, admit, even admit to being ill. Um, you know, sometimes they, they clearly are. Um, but I was actually informed at one point um, by my senior at my last brewery, um, don't do not do that again. And my mistake was I'd said to the toji, I said, oh, you, you've got a cold, haven't you? Um, and I was told not to say that to them because toji don't get ill. Um, so there's still that kind of traditional element of it that, that, um, that that's you know lingered in the industry where these guys, will, uh, these guys and girls will, will come in on their hands and knees, um, you know, because they, they simply can't take time off, which is obviously not good for when you've got, a, you know, a, a terrible virus uh, doing the rounds. Um, but yeah, we all work in very, very close proximity and we, we eat together and going into the, 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 the muro that I mentioned before, making koji, I mean, that's a, a humid, closed environment by design um, so so yeah it's it, it, it something like that is kind of unthinkable um, you know touch wood lucky that that never happened um, during during the two seasons that we've worked under um, during the pandemic um, but I, I I just I can't imagine what would happen if uh, if one of us was to get sick from it so yeah it's, it's kind of unthinkable but, yeah so we're we're, we're we're all looking forward to our, our vaccination for that way. <laughs> that's, that's great that the vaccinations are rolling out because if you're going to start brewing season in September, it'd be great if everybody's on their way to being vaccinated. Uh, let's talk about some of the other parts yeah. of the process. So filtration, uh, pressing. Can you tell us about some of the other parts of the process? Pasteurization? So filtration's um, probably the most, uh, yeah. Filtration's probably one of the, um, uh, the, 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 sorry, the least interesting ones because it, it's becoming um, less and less popular in the um, to actually do it at all in the premium categories. Um, it, it gets done for um, mainly for futsushu nowadays, um, but they, they used to do it um, for for nearly everything because there was a there was a the, the what was considered best was clear sake and um, so it had to be a kind of you know watery color and um, the, the 
consumer preferences have changed since uh, since then. In in my five seasons, I've only ever done filtration for uh, futsushu, which is table sake. At Imada-san, at Imada Shuzo, um, we don't make futsushu. It's all 100% um, what they call tokute mei shoshu or, um, or premium categories of sake. So we, we have no absolutely no charcoal filtration whatsoever. There, there isn't even the means to do it in the brewery. Um, some of the sake gets um, put through a microfilter, um, but a very, very small percentage of it. Um, and that just um, is completely different from doing charcoal filtration. Um, it keeps the colour and the colour stays the same. And if you pick up a bottle of Fukucho, um, you will invariably see colour um, in, in the sake because we're not trying to, um, you know, to hide its, its true nature. Um, so, so yeah, that that's filtration. It's kind of it's in there because it's a very, very um, important part of the process. Um, but nowadays, it's becoming uh, a lot less common uh, to, to see it done. Pressing, on the other hand, is one hundred percent necessary. Um, it, it isn't safe to unless you separate the the solids from the the liquids, uh, and that's done with pressing. And actually, a lot of people that are new to sake mix these two up. And um, I suppose it's kind of a method of kind of filtration is pressing. It's, it's, it's on paper, it sounds similar. Um, but that's the point in pressing. You're removing the sake solids and the, the lees, um, what they call kasu in Japanese, um, which is a brilliant byproduct of sake brewing, by the way. Uh, from from the liquids, and if you don't do that, it doesn't get to be called seishu, which is the legal definition. Um, there, there's there's a few ways to do it, and what what you're seeing there is, um, I suppose, the most common way of doing it, which is a uh, it's kind of like a big accordion-like press, which the sake gets put into um, to, to these kind of cloth um, bags with with a, a very very heavy steel plate um, in between it, and the sake gets pushed through these mesh. Um, bags and that, that's what separates them and the kasu um, collects in, in the centre so um, so yeah the, you know pr probably your average consumer is not interested in these types of steps but for for, for sake brewers then it's uh, it's um, th there's there's a whole rabbit hole you can go down for, for each of them yeah that's so interesting I'd never seen the pressing before uh, I'd love to see that in the brewery let's talk about bottling because we were talking about this as a sustainable initiative that of course they used to do all the time in japan and so few sake shops do it now where you would get the bottle you drink the bottle you take back the bottle they wash the bottle reuse the bottle um so it's so nice to see that you can still buy sake in big bottles are they reused or New yes. Only. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, and this is this is something that's uh, appropriate for a talk about sustainability. Um, I I love Isho beans. Um, uh, that that's the one point uh, the the one point eight liter bottles. Um, I, I'm convinced, as are others, um, that, that sake actually tastes better from them. Um, I have a couple of theories as to why, but nothing is obviously proven. Um, but yeah, I'm absolutely convinced that sake does taste better from them, probably because, um, well, two things, probably because they get a little bit more time 
um, you know, a little bit more exposure to, to oxygen. And um, one of the big misconceptions of, of sake is that it, it it's like wine and that you have to drink it very, very quickly. Um, you, you certainly don't. There are there are some that um, you would be advised to drink sooner than others. Um, but but sake is is in general very very stable um, as long as you avoid um, severe temperature changes and um, it doesn't like uh, exposure to light and um, that's that's really its Achilles heel and um, so that's that's one reason why I think sake tastes better from an isho bin uh, the other is for pasteurized stuff and um, if you're pasteurizing in a bottle uh, I think it's it's um, much more gentle on the sake to be in a bigger vessel than the the smaller uh, yongo bean, um, but yet yeah, to, to answer your, your your question, people still it's always local people obviously, but st people still bring these big bottles back to us, um, and we um, we sometimes buy them secondhand as well. And um, isho beans are definitely recycled um, over and over again. That's kind of standard practice in the industry. Some don't. Um, some insist on new bottles every time. Um, but isho beans uh, get recycled. Yongo beans tend not to, though, and that's a problem. Um, the, because isho beans in the past were that was the, the bottle of choice, um, all the containers, um, you know, two generations of containers that started with these wooden ones, and now it's the plastic, what they call a pea case, uh, they're, they, they only hold. Uh, isho beans, the, the larger bottles. There's nothing stand, industry standard um, for for the, the Yongo bean, uh, the 720 mil size. And so it's it's a logistical nightmare of where you keep them, how do you you know rewash them and everything. Um, and one um, side effect of the pandemic uh, has been that Isho beans are the number of isho bean sales is dropping very very rapidly, uh, and yongo bean uh, is is rising, and so that's one thing that hasn't been good for sustainability. Um, people drinking at home because izakayas aren't open, um, you know, people maybe buying a bit more expensive sake but in smaller sizes because they're getting a bit more you know adventurous with what they're drinking. Um, yeah, that that's. That, that's it. That's basically it. So there, there was there was even at one point people were feeding that people would just stop uh, using the the larger bottles. Yeah, I love the large bottles. They're so impressive. You can see the label clearly, and of course, yeah. it's so cheap. I just I cannot get over how inexpensive good sake is in japan yeah. this was i think 1500 yen like just unbelievable like that's a that's a great sake that you have in your hand there. 15 uh, bucks Hawking. yeah i love yeah. i love this one yeah was a yeah. present <laughs> yeah they're, they're just up the road from us so <laughs> wonderful but now i know that the big bottles are reused washed and reused i'm never gonna buy a smaller bottle it's all big bottles from here <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I've, I've just, I, I feel proud that I've just increased the sales of sake <laughs> somewhat tonight. So. That's wonderful. Uh, Rob has a question. Is there a formal system for recycling the bottles between retailers, bars, and the breweries? Good question. 
Uh, yeah, good, good question. Not that I'm aware of. Um, I'm sure it differs from prefecture to prefecture, um, but there, there, there must be some system uh, that, 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 that gets them because, as I say, we, we get them in these big pallets um, and they're, they're already kind of delabeled um, because obviously, you know, at, at my uh, admittedly, one of the drawbacks to, to using them is at my last brewery. Um, we we had a lot of people locally. It was a bigger town, to be fair, um, but we would we would receive a lot more of these from the local izakayas. Um, in Akitsu, there there isn't any local izakayas. Um, all we get is you know just you know local people that bring them back in in very small volumes. Um, but at Juhatsu Zakari, we were we were getting them direct from the the izakayas, um, and some of the labels um, you just can't remove them. Um, so you know you're you're getting these things and, and actually you have to throw them away. So um, labeling was a big problem. Also things like they, they would they would bring not just sake bottles back, but they would bring um, things like mirin and uh, you know some some really quite strong uh, sauces and things that were they were in them. And obviously we can't use those because there's you know no matter how much you you wash them, and um, there's still just a little bit left over. So. Um, so yeah, that that was one of the, the the downsides to it. But but we can order up these huge big pallets of you know cleaned to a certain extent and um, you know reusable uh, bottles. So there there must be somewhere um, where you know or, or maybe a system that um, it's probably better to ask someone that works in an izakaya. Um, and it's it's very likely it will be specific to uh, different from prefecture to prefecture. But there must be a collection. Um, you know, system for this, uh, and then they get centralised and then put back out to to the brewers. So yeah, it's a good question. I'll 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 ask about that um, at the brewery tomorrow. I love that when you go into an izakaya or a bar and they have the big bottles upside down because they're ready to put them on tap. And uh, you can see the labels, and it's, it's such a fantastic way to serve. The alcohol and then if they're reusing the bottles that's great uh rob says would be cool if a national sake organization could coordinate a national recycling solution i think this is so true and not just for sake i would love to see the old coke machines come back where you get your bottle of coke and you drink it and you leave the bottle and it's washed and reused i mean we need to go back to that system for all drinks really yeah, absolutely, and, and and again, it's it it probably maybe it is just my imagination, but but um, Coca Cola from a bottle tastes better to me, and um, there's um there there's a, a a huge kind of super spa in Osaka, um, I I spent a little bit of time in in Osaka before I uh, started brewing, and um, it's called Spa World, and they still have, or at least the last time I was there, it's a few years ago to be fair, that they had the old coke machine and um, where you got the bottle and everything you know there's a collection point for for the bottles and I, i'm still convinced that the best coca-cola i've ever had in my life was was in that you know after i got out the onsen uh, you know dr drank one of those bottles so um so so yeah absolutely it's um you know i, I feel the same way about coca-cola and bottles as i do sake from big bottles um you know de definitely uh De definitely try it and, and see what you think. I, I'm, I'm convinced it, they taste better. So, 
I, I think so too. It's like people swear from like a, a diner or a restaurant where they have Coke on tap that it all it always tastes yeah. better. And I think that's true for the bottles as well, definitely. And Coca-Cola, we know, is one of the biggest plastic pollution contributors to the ocean plastic. So if they went back to this type of solution that we used to use, it tastes better and it's better for the environment. Let's do it. Now, I love, I yeah, saw this yeah. on your website. I absolutely love it. Your sake haiku. Sake inspired Oh, okay. Haiku. Uh, right. I'm a, bit, I'm a bit embarrassed about that. Too. <laughs> no, I love it. Um, so because it's rainy season right now, I chose this one. Let's see if we can bring it up bigger. And I noticed Sake Mistress was also adding some, which is nice. Um, under She's a fellow fan of haiku. So. Yeah, no, it's great. And it, it adds the atmosphere that we're missing by just drinking alone at home. So I love this. Do you want to read it for us since you wrote this? Uh, yeah, I can just about see it on my screen. So uh, under rain, rain-soaked rain eaves, I ponder my journey. Sunshine fills my cup. So, so yeah, and that, that actually that was taken... That picture was taken on a very rainy day, as you can see in Akitsu, um, just just near the station. So, um, yeah, I, it, it was a it was a long summer. I had a lot of time on my hands, and you know, drink, drinking alone most of the time. Uh, yeah, I, I sort of uh, developed a, a way of uh, passing the time, which was to to try and write haiku, uh, but but always sake specific haiku, and that was my my rule for. If you know, if you're putting on on the website, there has to be a way you can explain it uh, in uh, in relation to to sake. So, um, all of them are um, in in some way connected to the pleasures you get from drinking sake, or something that reminds you of when you're drinking sake. And and yes, Simone did some fantastic, a lot better than mine. Uh, so. <laughs> It's great. I chose yours because it was rainy season and we are still having lots of rainy days. Uh, we have about five more minutes. I would love for you to introduce what do you think are the most useful sake terms? You have such a great list on your website. Um, I'm putting it here so people can see a little bit. If someone is just trying to get into sake a little bit, what would you recommend that they ask for or look for in a sake bottle? Um, well, I hesitate slightly because my, my whole outlook on sake is just to experiment with it. Um, and, you know, I, I've always said, go into it with an open mind. And so, some people will say, um, I, I guess I'm kind of the opposite of what a lot of people will say in the industry that they'll, they'll say, look for the word ginjo or something like that. And it's not bad advice, but but, but me, uh, the, the, the best advice to do is, is go into it with an open mind and don't fixate on one particular style. And just try as many as you can and and and, and you will find something. I'm, I'm almost certain you will find something uh, or a particular style um, that will you know that, that you'll take a liking to. It really is such a versatile drink. Um, but the other, um, again, I'm not really coming up with any, sort of, you know, uh, you know, labeling terms or anything. 
Um, but the other thing that I would say is, pr is probably the, the most uh, misunderstood thing about sake is the temperature that you serve it. Um, sake's absolute party piece um, is, is the fact that it can be enjoyed at a wide range of temperatures. And there, there's been a real uh, um, misconception, uh, you know, go, going back the last like, 20, maybe even longer, um, but warm sake equals bad sake and um, that, that just isn't true bad sake is bad sake regardless of what temperature it is and good sake is good sake regardless of what temperature it is and um, so if you're buying a bottle and particularly if you're drinking at home uh, is experiment with the temperature of it and um, because you'll you'll get and you'll get a completely different drink and um, from one temperature to, to the next and um, so so yeah if, if you're going to go into you know, hopefully we'll, we'll all be doing this in izakayas and, and bars and, and what have you. Um, but yeah, if, if you're if you're doing it in Japan, then uh, then ask for kanzake. Um, you know, that's the, the term for uh, for for warm sake. Um, and if you're doing it abroad and they've got the means to do it, um, don't don't be shy to say to them, can can you warm it up, regardless of what it is. Um, this is another thing people say that you know it's only certain types. I, I disagree that taste is subjective so and um, make your own mind up rather than uh, rather than just purely listening to what someone else is uh, is decided for you so and um, yeah that's it just just experiment with it try as many different styles as you can don't make any pre preconceptions about it um, and uh, and just enjoy the, the journey of discovery because it will take a long, long time <laughs> to, to work your way through them all. So That's great advice. I, I love that in uh, Hannah Kirshner's book as well, uh, that she was working in a bar and she appreciated so much the difference of the same sake, whether it was served cold or served uh, hot or warm, and it always tasted different. And the pairing with different food made it different, and she appreciated it in different ways. So I love that advice. Just keep trying it in different ways. I would say as well, I love sake shops. And if I go in a yeah. sake shop, I just ask for a recommendation. And if I go back, they always ask me, did you like that? Or was it too strong? Would you like something different? Right. And then they remember me. I don't know if it's just because I'm a foreigner, but I think the sake shop staff are so good at remembering their customers and remembering what they like and then suggesting something they might like as well. It's it's fantastic system. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you, you know, you really have to certainly for people watching, uh, you know, that, that live in Japan, and you know, we're so fortunate if if you're interested in in sake to have these amazing places. And as you said right at the start, and at really really reasonable prices as well. And um, but yeah, get get find a nice. Um, you know, sake sake shop that, that has a good selection, uh, and try your best to um, you know to build up a relationship with them because, as you say, they're they're typically extremely knowledgeable about what they're selling, uh, and they they will they will know by what you've by what you've said they'll they'll be able to find um, you know the, the right sake for you, 
Um, so, so yeah, get, getting a relationship with a good sake shop is uh, is, is definitely right up there, uh, or should be right up there in your priorities if you've got you know aspirations to um, you know to, to jump down the rabbit hole and, and really discover sake. So you're you're on you're on mute, Joy. Sorry, thank you, thank you. Sorry. So <laughs> Sorry. I'm I'm showing your beautiful website right now, um, Origin Sake, and I would encourage everybody to go and have a look. There's so much there um, about the origin, about the process. You've got great photos. You introduce breweries, uh, different sakes that you've tasted. So really, thank you so much for all the great work you put into this. Did you um, start yeah, I mean, in 2006? I'm, I'm slightly embarrassed. Yeah, Why? I mean, I, 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 the, 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 the basic simple thing is I don't have enough time to um, to put into the website as I'd like to. Um, there's a list as long as my arm of topics that I would like to cover, but um, when half of the year is a write-off, and obviously the other half of the year, um, you know, I still have a job and I have family commitments, and, you know, I'd like at some point to once the, the pandemic's over to see my friends and things. So I really don't have anywhere near the amount of time uh, to, to put into the website as I would like to. So there, there, I know that there's uh, parts of it that are a bit rough around the edges, um, but I, it's done with, with absolutely no budget whatsoever. Um, and it, it's just really been my way of, um, you know, documenting things that I've learned, uh, you know, not not necessarily things that are just written in textbooks or books, um, but the things that I've learned uh, firsthand, uh, you know, working uh, working for, for two different breweries and two different master brewers, um, and you know my own travels within Japan and you know going to see breweries and uh, and things. So I think it's important to get brewers' perspectives as well, um, and, I, and I try and uh, I try and sort of share as much as that uh, that aspect as possible. Um, but but I would love one day to um, you know just take a year off and uh, and you know really kind of tidy it up and you know uh, make it make it a bit more user friendly and what have you. So um, but yeah, if if anyone wants to to look at it, I'd be uh, I'd be delighted. So it's great. Yeah, you you're doing more than enough. And uh, one nice thing about having a blog is people will access the older articles for years. You don't, you know, that that uh, story about your first day ever making sake, that's, that's great and it's priceless and you can never do that again. You can never have that same impression, right? So I'm, I'm yeah. really glad that you've kept it up and you know, when you have a chance to go back to it, you can go back to it. But when you're making sake, everybody who's looking at it appreciates that too. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank thank you. I'll 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 do my best to to, to keep it going. So, um, but it, yeah, it's it's been good for me as well because as as you say, my my own uh, opinions have changed since you know my first years and um, you know maybe if, you know opinions have changed drastically from from what I've learned on the job and, and you know certain things that I was told when you know this is this is how this is done and this this should be this way. Um, and, and certain parts of that I've, I've realised are, um, are not true um, and 
you know my own my own tastes as well I've kind of uh, to, you know my own my own uh, view to sake has changed as well so it's good to kind of go back uh, and 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 look at it and you know remind myself of that kind of progression so um, yeah yeah well wonderful thank you so much for joining and for sharing all your thank you very much for having today. me yeah wonderful and i look forward to after we have our vaccine to come and visiting you at fukucho and uh sampling and meeting up and talking to miho imada-san too that'll be wonderful yeah i'll, I'll look forward to a drink sometime in hiroshima as well so <laughs> that'd be great yeah Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you, everybody, for joining today. 